welcome to Keep Calm and Cook On. I'm your host, Julia Tertian. Each episode of Keep Calm and Cook On features a meaningful interview and answers to listeners' questions about cooking. Thanks for tuning in. This episode of Keep Calm and Cook On is presented by OXO. OXO makes some of the most thoughtfully engineered tools around. To find out more about OXO, head over to OXO.com. That's OXO.com. Okay, I say this every week and might be a broken record, but I am so excited to share this episode with you. It's with Lisa Gross, the founder of League of Kitchens, and Mab, one of the League of Kitchens instructors and a longtime activist. I spoke to them a few months ago at Mab's apartment in Brooklyn and was welcomed with a huge spread of beautiful food, and I left feeling full in so many ways. This episode is about so much, including, but not limited to, activism, feminism, sexuality, identity, ideology, immigration, home, memory, trauma, healing, agency, cooking, and love. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and be sure to check the show notes for a link to League of Kitchens so you can sign up for one of their classes. So will you guys, one at a time, introduce yourselves? I'm Lisa Gross, and I'm the founder of the League of Kitchens. And I am Mahbube Abbas Qulizadeh, or Mab Abbas, and I am instructor in League of Kitchen and other things I do. Other things? Other times. What other things? Other things. Uh, it's more um, activism. I, I identify myself as an activist, and uh, I, have, I know very good about media, so I am activist media maker. And uh, so, and recently I discovered my new version after immigration, actually, about cooking and food and memory, relation with memory and healing. So that's why I'm now I'm in cooking as well. That's awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you both about this, um, this activism work. I feel you both do. And about cooking and food. And so, for Lisa, for anyone who isn't familiar, can, how do you describe League yeah. of Kitchen? What's your so, elevator pitch? Right. The <laughs> elevator pitch is that we are a culinary dream team of women from around the world who will welcome you into their homes and teach you their family recipes. So what that means is that we offer cooking workshops in New York City and Los Angeles where immigrant women who are really amazing home cooks like Mab, who really do everything using traditional techniques and methods, teach small intimate classes in their home kitchens teaching their family recipes. And when did you start it? How long ago? About five years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, What inspired you to begin League of Kitchens? Yeah. So this actually came out of my own experience in that my mom's Korean. She immigrated here in the early 70s. My dad's American of Hungarian Jewish descent, like fifth generation New Yorker, New York Jew. (laughs) And um, my Korean grandmother lived with my family when I was growing up and cooked all of this amazing Korean food. But whenever I would try to help her in the kitchen and show interest, she'd be like, oh, don't worry about cooking. You should go study because studying is more important. And, you know, I really understand where she was coming from and really value how much she she really wanted me to have different opportunities that she had, that she herself wanted so badly to have been able to study and work and do all these things. And, and also, she didn't value her own cooking skills because her culture also didn't really value her own cooking skills. And so I never learned to cook from her. And you know, later on, after college, when I really started to cook for myself and really fell in love with cooking and wanted to cook Korean food. My grandmother had passed away by that time. And so I tried to teach myself from cookbooks and from the internet, but nothing tasted as good as my grandmother made it. Um, And I just realized that so often there are these small details or tricks or ways of doing things that you really need to learn from a person because they're so sensory and bodily. It's like at this moment it sounds like this or smells like this or should taste like this or feel like this. And it's difficult to convey through a cookbook or a video. So I had this fantasy. I was like, oh, I wish there was another Korean grandmother that I could cook with and cook with her in her home kitchen and learn her family recipes. Um, and so I had that idea in my early 20s. I kind of filed that away. And then I ended up going to grad school later for participatory public art or social practice. And I ended up doing a lot of 
um, projects involving food. Also, I had done, I'd sort of fallen into doing food writing for the New York press after college and really learned so much about how food intersects with every possible topic and issue. And and so I really was using that in my art art projects, the way that food is instantly engaging and connecting and connects to every idea and, and social issue. So then when I moved back to New York and I was trying to think about what I wanted to do for my next project, this idea from my early 20s came back to me. And I was like, oh, well, what if I could find amazing home cooks from all around the world and you could go into their homes and learn their family recipes and cook with them? And what if this experience was just as much about creating opportunities for meaningful cross-cultural connection and learning and exchange as it was about the cooking. Because, you know, even though New York City is incredibly diverse, there are so few opportunities for meaningful interaction either between immigrants and non-immigrants or between immigrants from different groups. And most of those experiences are service-based. It's like the person at the dry cleaner or the waiter or the bodega. And so I was really thinking about this as something that really shifted the conventional dynamic and allowed for a kind of intimacy of connection um, that's not really possible otherwise. Mm-hmm. I think the intimacy of being in someone's home is is a huge part of what you do. And yes. I mean, we're sitting here right now in your home, Matt. Yes. Mm-hmm. You yes. just made this extraordinary breakfast for us. And I feel so much more closely connected than if we were sitting in some conference room somewhere. And I think it's undeniable. Or commercial kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you consider um, your work to be activism? Definitely, yeah. totally. Yeah. I mean, because I think at the heart of what we do is recognizing and celebrating immigrants, particularly immigrant women, for their culinary knowledge and expertise and all they contribute to our culture and society. And I feel like even more and more I feel that this is also a feminist project because cooking, culinary traditions have always been passed down in every culture between women. You know, there were no cooking schools 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago anywhere, right? But there's been food. (laughs) But there's been food and these culinary traditions have developed and in 90, probably 99% of the world, most cooking is done every day by women. So the culinary tradition of every culture around the world has been an oral tradition passed down between women. And because it's been women's knowledge, because it's been oral, not written down, it's been really invisible and either devalued or not valued or undervalued. And so I feel like a big part of what we're doing is really recognizing it, celebrating it, creating access to it, paying for compensating women for it, um, you know, so there's kind of like the feminist side and the part also saying like these immigrant women are adding so much. We, it's, I really feel like it's an honor and a privilege to be in all of our instructors' homes learning from them. This is not like a charity experience. This is like a privilege. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. You're nodding. <laughs> I, <laughs> because uh, after I started to, to connect with Lisa and Sonia, and uh, in the first network meeting, I met women from other countries. They were exactly like me. And I felt that I have friends or I have a, I have a community that I didn't know mm. before I have That's it. That's amazing. So feeling that you have community and you are not alone, it's uh, also a privilege, mm. I think. Because it's very, it's very difficult as an immigrant, you feel that you are alone. And now I understand that there is a food and activism and you are working on that. So <laughs> this is also very, I am very excited because when I started cooking, I said, oh my God, I'm living, I, it, this means that I'm living activism. If I'm doing any social change with this or it is just healing or because this is just new version of me is coming up. I should let this version to comes up, but there is no any social change. Maybe maybe immigrant life means that you are not that much strong to make social change because in New York, you don't know people, you don't know communities, and uh, so many barriers here, and you cannot do the same thing that you used to do in Iran. So, and then, but... Part of feminism is just you let your femininity grow, you know. Yeah. You don't stop yourself. You you trust your intuition, you trust yourself, and you say, okay, just go ahead. And uh, 
So I started by this uh, uh, intuitive uh, feeling. Yeah. It sounds like not judging yourself and your yes. instincts. Yes. And then when I part. met other other instructors from uh, League of Kitchen, I find that they have same story of, mm. like me. That's they, so amazing. Yeah. Even if they're from other places and from other places, but they have different background. Yeah. They are. They have different story. Most of them, they are from like me. They are like they uh, they are exiled because of the politics, or they couldn't anymore stay in their hometown. And different story. It's very interesting stories. But uh, uh, the thing is, uh, trusting new version of yourself. That is the. It's very. Brave yeah. feeling. Like Trusting a, feeling. a new version of yourself. Yeah, that's very brave. brave. Because, yeah. because in your country, most of us, we had, uh, we were from upper middle class, middle class, lots of privilege. And then you, you when you come here, nobody knows you. And then you should start from zero. And then in that part of your life, something comes up, like, like something you start to to find another talents of yourself. So you trust, you should trust yourself. Yeah. You, and this is, I think this is real activism mm. that how we, because all my life I was in empowerment of women, empowering them, teaching them to trust themselves and just let them to trust their own sexuality or their own, like uh, their own agency and being uh, being uh, in charge of the life and economy and making money. But experience of immigration is different. Like uh, in immigration, it's not that. It's about the, you are different person when you leave your environment. Another talents, another memories, other things from... Uh, like uh, your environment, you comes and then you want to mix all of these things together. And as a feminist, you if you don't trust yourself, you gonna have a like this kind of paradoxical feeling. Who am I? What I am doing here? And oh my god, I am loser. Oh my god, this is this is and victimizing, victimizing, victimizing. So. Feminist experience taught me to don't victimize myself. So that's why I said, okay, let's let's see what happened with cooking and cooking mm-hmm. and cooking. And then when I find about League of Kitchen in the beginning, uh, it was very like an unfamiliar project for me. But just when I met Lisa and Sonia on my door here, I said, oh, my God. And my girlfriend was with me, and and she always wanted to support me with League of Kitchen. She said they are really good, play. they are really good people. I said I don't know, I am not in this. I don't feel. Let's see. <laughs> and then when I met Lisa and Sonia, I said, Oh my God, they are really new energy and new generation of feminists and. Uh, activist and they really respect and for first time I felt that things that they are the message that League of Kitchen giving me it's respecting your heritage from your mom and this is things that feminists need yeah. in that time you know because we don't respect we we think that modernization means that you should be against of all of your heritage or don't trust your like a it was suppressive uh, in like a situation mm-hmm. when your 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 mom and your grandma has in like a, with family and always working in kitchen and they don't do anything in social change and all things happen with men and then you feel that no i can mix it i can mix my agency with my heritage and my talent and uh, my memory and mm. I need my memory to to feel I have roots yeah. in new country as yeah. well things that League of Kitchen give me is uh, respecting and trusting 
this new version of myself. That's amazing. I mean, and I, I think I can only speak from my own experience, but I I feel so aware that the agency I have in my life is based so much on the women who came before me and what what they did and what they sacrificed. And maybe they didn't have as much agency as I do, but I don't have mine without mm-hmm. them really not having theirs in a way. And, so you can't deny that. I mean, it's And I also connected. feel like, you know, I... I did study hard. I did go to Yale. Like I c- could be anything, you know, and I could like I have the skills and resources to start a company. Mm-hmm. But because of that, I can also make my company about women and cooking mm-hmm. and valuing the home and nurturing and nourishing and care work and that this is just as e- as valuable and important as anything else yeah. you could do in the world. Yeah. And to really create like space and recognition around that. It's amazing. I mean, I feel like everything you're talking about, both of you, is this sort of connective tissue between women and between generations. And I mean, it's it's incredible. Can you share a little bit more about, I mean, it sounds so much about your sort of new life, this kind of new appreciation for cooking, this new respect for yourself, this bravery to trust this new thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background, sort of life oh, before so, League of Kitchens? <laughs> so different, so different. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, very active in Iran's revolution, mm-hmm. 79 revolution, as a political activist. Uh, and after that, I started my activism as a Muslim feminist because we were, during that time, criticizing what's happening, why the state is uh, not uh, f- uh, like a, they, the legal uh, or family law, they are discriminated between men and women, and we wanted to change society by re-interpretation re, um, uh, of Quran and mm-hmm. other uh, religious tes- uh, texts and uh, uh, book and then um, uh, I discovered about my sexuality in the meantime, and it was difficult as a Muslim feminist. You experience as a, that you are lesbian, and as a lesbian, it's so difficult that you feel that you are religious and you are lesbian. So what 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 can I do with sure, this? So yeah. it when now I see some movie about religious Orthodox uh, Jewish uh, things, I it's really me, my life. Like <laughs> it's not about religion. It's more about the, it's more about the how ideology or religion can suppress your sexuality. So that's a. Uh, that was very really hard experience for me to, oh, in my inside of me to, and to. How old were you around when you? I was thirty-two when okay. I was experiencing the this uh, this kind of the two different different feeling, mm-hmm. and also I had husband and like a fighting with your all of these different things. So. Oh, it was very also feminist experience for me to 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 have a, this kind of internal journey. Uh, anyway, I involved in uh, <clears throat> involved uh, in political uh, women's rights activism, and uh, I slowly find out that uh, if I want to express my femininity or my feminism or my sexuality i should i should make myself free of all of the ideology or religion so and i slowly change to be secular kind of doesn't mean that i left spirituality but i didn't talk with God for like a long time I said okay this is I can't do I am lesbian I cannot be not lesbian so and you don't like lesbian okay we don't talk with each other I gonna do my life you do your life you go over there (laughs) okay I'll be over here and then I started my secular activism and it was very difficult uh, so I engaged with the, like a, I was organizer, activist organizer for protest and 
I uh, was I experienced three times being in jail because of my peaceful activism. And uh, we were in head of the like a leaders of uh, women's movement in Iran, always in interview and in, in like a being in public uh, figure uh, situation. So, and then Green Movement happened after Green Movement. Which is the in, democracy uh, movement. Yeah, it is, which is democracy movement in Iran. And uh, around 2009, 2010, and when we lost our movement, I uh, and the government was uh, like, a, they were arresting all of activists like me. So I escaped from country around 2010, and I started my, um, my as a opposition, uh, political opposition, working in Europe, and then I came to Washington, worked in Washington, started working in Washington in different, uh, like, um, uh, foundations and teaching in different universities, Rutgers, UConn, and uh, so about the women's movement in Muslim context. And after that, uh, uh, around 2014, I started to, oh, my real project, Zanon TV, it means uh, like a board, uh, uh, like a, it is a platform, online platform for women's empowerment by video and by TV production, and it was based on video production. So it was very hard project. Life was very, like, a very hard, working from long distance with, with home country, and then being involved with oppositions and always in competitions. And like For a, grant money. <laughs> and, oh, my God, the grant money. I, I moved, I, I escaped from my country because of my freedom, and uh, after that, I was like, a, I was going more and more professional in the grant and in in production. I felt that I am in the new cage of the grant and <laughs> the grant. fundraising, fundraising. And, and reporting wow. and these things. And I felt that I'm just like, it's I'm not happy with this situation. And in the meantime, in the meantime, I was experiencing my life here. And uh, so, um, and one day, because of many, many things that happened during that time, like, a, like a, as a political activist in exile, you feel that you are always have a long distance relation with your country. You don't smell anything. You don't do anything. You just, you just see, and even the people don't trust you because... You think that you are getting grant from foreign agent, and maybe you have agenda, and they don't trust your your friend. Don't they? They they they. My friend, they were losing trust on me. That why you are working with grant outside, and you are in comfortable zone, and we are in danger here. From the other hand, grant companies they were very like a. They were dealing with me like a, I am their agent and I wasn't their agent and I felt that this is not that the life that I am looking for so and uh, and uh, one day I start because I didn't hear myself that my feminist part saying okay okay just just go leave these things this is mm -hmm. not you but I didn't I was scared to do that because you are in a new country and you have a, you don't know anybody, you don't have network, you cannot change your job, you cannot do anything. Just this is job that you can do and you are activist and activism means that you work long distance with your friend. And then this was my field that I had experienced for a long time, more than decades on that. So, but my, one day I started broke from inside of myself. I started to, to feel that I cannot continue the situation with this, uh, uh, this much responsibility. And so, and in that time, I had just girlfriend, uh, Ashkenazi Jewish from New York, very different. 
You have and good she taste. Was, <laughs> and she loved uh, cooking, and I started to to communicate with cooking with her, and uh, so it was way of communication, introducing my country, and then I start to feel that I am enjoying it. It's good, and I am. Um, it's it's healed me because because I could recreate many of memory that I was happy with them, like in my childhood, or like a new year or different um, occasions. So I started to feel, oh, this is the way that I can heal and feel healing and communicate. And my girlfriend said, oh, this is, you are very good on that. And then, and from the other side, I felt that I'm ready to to just disconnect with my previous life. Mm-hmm. I start le- new life. I start in de- being independent activist. I start to be different activist. I never in the beginning I was confused between being like a activist, gay, and Im- immigrant, and cooker or love cooking and I said there is no connection if you want to cook you are not any more activist and but as a gay relation in the middle age it cooking is good way for communication (laughs) I find it good in my experience but uh, so slowly I just trust my uh, new like a new life so that is the whole story here, I have. Here you are. Mm. That's yeah. amazing. You, you've described the sort of immigrant experience of being, um, you know, obviously separate from home and this kind of longing for even just the smells of where you were. And mm-hmm. I know you've described your cooking as kind of creating the sense of, of home. Um, yeah. And the I even wrote down, you said your philosophy about cooking is recreating the concept of home in an exile situation. And you said, when I cook and recreate that home feeling, I feel empowered. Yes. And I thought that was so incredible. And I think that kind of sense of homesickness and being able to use food to sort of uh, heal that is, is such a powerful it thing. Is, still, it is, it is uh, I'm discovering new things yeah. on that, you know. It is kind of the, um, I am discovering that uh, when I come back to my memory for cooking, it's not just I recreate the same exact taste. I also put all of my uh, feeling on that and my understanding about nutrition. So I choose, I is not exactly creation of that. It is manipulating of my memory and putting new things on that but I am very I have very uh, like a um, I am also very um, careful to make same dishes and it's not like a uh, because recently I went to um, Iranian restaurant I find that food is so delicious here but it's not the food that I had it in in Iran or from my from my grandma or my mom. It's different. It is like a more like a. It is very clean. It is it is very um, not uh, light. Uh, uh, it is like a. It's like a. It's like a. You have a flowers in the like a specific place. They make it. They make that flowers. They garden that flower. They are not organically mm. growing in the like a like a in in mountain. So mm. you don't feel that freshness mm. and mm-hmm. that organic yeah. feeling. I wanted to. I want to have that organic feeling. I'm gonna have that freshness, but in the meantime, I. Um, this is the way of the just. Uh, it is. It's bring me. My memory about uh, that, about my uh, family or about my society that I never during my activism wanted to remember it. Mm. Like a, like a, about my city, Khoramshar in Iran, where it's burned during, it's destroyed during Iran-Iraq war. It's, I never wanted to come back to that city. It was totally different places 
after war. But all of my cooking now, it's about that, wow. that time of that memory that I had in my childhood in Khoramshar. And I remember about the trade and market and women's and voice and smells. And so now I am making book and memoir about all of that time. And even I'm remembering all of my uh, politics comes from all of my dad's uh, stories about the trade in, the, in that port, that how British uh, or other uh, companies, they are bringing their own products and all of original products, they, are, um, they, are, they don't have markets. So you mean the Iranian products lost Iranian. market because they're undercut by the imports from yes. England and elsewhere. Yeah. So it's yes. the sort of homesickness for, for a place that doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's mixed. I'm just saying that it's intersection now with all of other stories that I have. Sure. I am remembering. So I think uh, this can be food. Uh, it's activism in food. I'm still discovering yeah. what kind of activism we can have with food. But I think one of that is about uh, trusting and empowering from inside, trusting other talents that we have. It's also about, uh, about uh, kind of the healing process mm-hmm. and... Um, well-being and self-caring that women and feminists and queers, they don't want to, they think that social change is just social change. It's not about ourselves. Yeah. So well, healing as activism is huge and it can also be painful to address what needs to be healed. So I can understand the, the kind of fear. It is, yeah. For me, like uh, now I'm, I'm, some, still, I, I am uh, suffering from post-trauma disorder course, yeah. stress yeah. and like uh, memories and like uh, memories from jail, from my hometown and from my dad, uh, mom. I, I never, I, I didn't see my mom after my, my exile. Yeah, it is. So memory is, it is very strong. It is very strong things inside of us. So polishing this memory, memories, polishing from darkness, from trauma, it just happened with beauty of the food, beauty of this drink, beauty of colors and smells and, and taste, things that my body needs to touch it. Mm-hmm. It's not just, I, it's, I need something physical to, to heal me, you know? It's not just I do yoga or I meditate. They are important, but also I need nutrition. Mm -hmm. So, and nobody can, this is agency and this is power that you can heal yourself. Yeah. And you can provide things that your body needs. You can recreate colors that, or taste that you your body needs. And also this is new kind of feminism for me, new experience, because my feminism was very elite and very privileged feminism. Like just always in nice office, working always in mm-hmm. meetings, traveling. <laughs> I traveled most of countries in the world. Like I don't have desire now to go anywhere. <laughs> I just want to stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> so... That is, uh, that's uh, when you have that privilege, so you don't see many other things that you have already from in your inside. So, and you want to deny it because your perfectionism, it's very, as, 
as a political activist feminist, we are perfectionists. Yeah, yeah. So, and perfectionist means that if you see the very empowered woman in the, like a, I don't know, in, 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 uh, as a, um, in very good, like a career, you admire, we can, we admire that people, that kind of woman, but if we see immigrant and they are trying to, to make their own life and survive with things that, oh my God, why they, they, why, why they left their country, why they are here. So, and they're all same and the language barrier, you cannot even connect with them to understand what is their story. So this perfectionism was with me until time that I started to appreciate my memories, appreciate uh, my memories from my mom, cooking, heat, all of these voices and things. And I started to criticize my perfectionism. This is about the making new agency. Until women in this country, they feel that dream is, should be perfect. And perfect means that you should be always in competition and have a best thing and best life. You cannot see your femininity from inside and your heritage and your culture and your environment and, or, and nature and respecting environment and nature and food and things that earth is bringing to you and sky giving to you, you know? That is things that it is my new spiritualism. Now I have, I have lots of, like a, lots of intimate talking with my God and this God is new God for me mm -hmm. that's in this new world. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you're like always reaching for some glass ceiling, it's it's also hard to keep your feet on the ground. <laughs> it's hard to do both those things at once. Yes. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Amazing. I mean, this is this is what I love about my job. Yeah. I mean, I feel I so lucky that I get to just hang out with people <laughs> yeah. like Mab or so get amazing. to. I mean, but what we're doing is humanizing the yeah. immigrant experience and creating opportunities for immigrants and non-immigrants or immigrants of different cultures to really get to know each other. Yeah. And be like, wow, Mav is like this unbelievably incredible, fascinating person. And as are every one of our instructors and as is every person in the yeah. world, right? And to create the, space and time for that. To create space that. and time to like get to know people. I mean, in certain ways, I feel like we use food and cooking to create a relational emotional experience mm -hmm. that's really profound yeah. and and I think moving for everyone for the students for the instructors and feels even more precious in this current time of everything being on your phone and everything mm -hmm. being abstract and um, disembodied this is an embodied experience of with our immersion classes it's four and a half hours with a group of six students sometimes you know them sometimes you don't and an instructor in their home to just be together and talk and cook and learn and get to know someone. And I think especially, you know, many of our instructors, as Matt mentioned, are from places of conflict, which is why they're here. You know, like Matt's from Iran. We have a, an instructor from Iraq, an instructor from Afghanistan. Um, and these are also places that are very demonized in American mm -hmm. culture and the media or seem very abstract or distant or scary and so even more important, you know, like what do most Americans think about when they think about Iran? Probably um, like religious oppression, um, you know, maybe that's it. <laughs> or like uh, Khomeini or the revolution or um, just there's no sense of the complexity of people's experiences, that there's a huge range of experiences, that people have childhoods where they're picking walnuts from the trees and, and you know, just like these really everyday human parts of life. And, you know, one of the things I love about cooking with Mab that I've learned from her is just hearing all of her stories from her childhood and all of her stories connected to food. And, and that's so much of what we're about in the League of Kitchens is the cultural and personal context of food. That, yes, you could go to some cooking school in Manhattan and be in a commercial kitchen and learn some Persian dishes, maybe from, like, you know, some American white guy. Like you could learn how to make good cuckoo probably, but, 
But that's so different from really yeah. learning and understanding the history and the stories and the cultural context and also the way the food is all eaten together. And, you know, Mab talks a lot about the underlying philosophy under Persian food about different elements and health. And also, you know, I think all of our instructors have a great sense of humor and they're really funny. And that's also so important. It's not just a collection of tragic stories. That yeah. every Everyone's just a person. Everyone has their stories, but everyone's also just a person with kids and who watches TV and you know, has family and it's like that yeah. juxtaposition of both of both making personal what's foreign, but also um kind of normalizing the foreign. They're like mm-hmm. we're just all people still. <laughs> and it's I think it's it's so powerful what you do and I mean what both of you are doing because I mean the food is incredible. This is the best breakfast I think I've ever had. <laughs> uh, but it's also not about the food and the food is this way in and it is this completely humanizing experience and humans, all of us contain multitudes. Yes. And, and we all eat. Yeah. And not romanticizing eat. things, yes. but humanizing yeah. them. And it's yeah. it's really amazing. And I, I just thank you both for mm. for doing what you do and, and welcoming so many of us into it. And Mab, I had one last question for you. Uh, just sure. speaking about it really struck me that thing you said about um at this point in your life, just wanting to be home. <laughs> and you know, you've traveled so much, you've been through so much and wanting to be home. And I'm just wondering what does home mean to you? When I say that word what comes to mind? Oh, home means when you open door, you smell uh, mm, familiar um, things like a, uh, a smell of tea in the morning or uh, like a food in the evening or uh, uh, some music, uh, some environment that you create and it's very familiar, like a combination of, it's combination of the whole things that your five senses, they needed to to feel it. Yeah. So that is... I love that. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, and then when you open your, like a different, uh, and then when you, when you open, uh, like a, like a, these glasses, they remind me, they are home. They are very homey. Like a, this feeling that you uh-huh. sit here is very homey. And for me, it's homey because the, all of this color and these things, they are uh, they are uh, very traditional for me. But in the meantime, you as an American, when you walk here, you feel that, oh, it is also very comfortable for you. Yeah. I think. Yes. I'm very <laughs> yes. comfortable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. It's kind of, yeah. Home is, uh, home is just a place that you feel. Uh, you feel safe and creative and uh, and connected. Yeah, I'm I so think. glad that you've um, found that here and that you're welcoming many of us into it, just literally <laughs> through yeah, the process. Yeah, and every yeah. time that new people come, like a, like a uh-huh. in my workshops, uh, or you friends, uh, especially for having food together, is make more home for yeah. me. Like you're, it's like a. F- Home is place that you people come and we get together and and have fun and yeah. food and everything and that's wonderful for us. Meaning of home is that yeah. like a uh, traditionally yeah now new like a new concept of home is like a, you just want to go sleep and then go outside <laughs> and then just come sleep yeah. and a rent in the yeah end. that's a and very New York City say, home <laughs> why what is why I should do that yeah. because just I want to sleep in somewhere yeah for me home is place that you can create things yeah, yeah. you know you can meet people like you yeah wow and and that was always very central to my idea actually that it was really important that these workshops take place in the instructors' homes because immediately it changes the experience where you feel intimacy, a kind of warmth, people. You know, it's usually six strangers or sometimes people come in couples who don't know each other. And I think it's a very common experience. People, when they show up, they feel a little nervous. They're going to a neighborhood they've never, maybe never been to. They're knocking on a stranger's door. They don't know what this is going to be like. And then they're welcomed. You know, all of our instructors are such warm, kind, generous women. Mm-hmm. And 
then they come in and, and they let down their guard. And and after four and a half hours, everyone kind of feels like family. And, yeah. you know, we often hear from students that the instructor feels at the end like their new favorite aunt or like cousin <laughs> or friend. And, and that just is so special. Like it just whenever – and also we often hear that some part of the world that previously felt abstract and distant – now feels personal and real. Like, oh, if I'm reading about Iran in the newspaper and this person, that might be Mab's mom. That yeah. might be Mab's friend. That might be... It's no longer just this abstract, distant, foreign, strange place that we don't care about or are scared of. Yeah. It reminds me so much. We were talking a little bit earlier about um, a cookbook author, Yasmin Khan, who's um, also Persian. And we recorded an episode of, of this mm. together and her latest book, which is all about Palestinian cooking, uh, she opens with a phrase that has really stayed with me and it's this old Jewish adage, which is you can't hate someone whose story you know. Mm. And um, I chill. Yeah, no, and I, I think what League of Kitchens does, what you do, Mab, is, is really uh, reminding us that that's very true. So it's, it's so great to hear that, you know, people coming into your home increases your sense of home. And for those of us who you welcome, you know, we leave changed. So it's, it's, a, it's a gift <laughs> yeah, for everyone. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you so much. This Thank was really you. special. I really appreciate your time. And, Thank you for yeah. you that you, you and Lisa, I think that uh, one incredible things for me is, yeah, I exit. I have a story here. But many people, they have a story. But we need to... Someone should have a good eyes or good good sense of the finding new and story, new new line of new people, you know. And I think Lisa is the uh, if I was like an old fashioned leader woman, she is new generation of women's <laughs> leader because they they bring people together, they uh, and they make a new new movements yeah. of the. Well, you're doing it together, which is the cool <laughs> yeah, part. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just such an honor and so yeah. fun to work with all of these incredible women. I mean, I've I've learned so much from all of them about life and living and also cooking. Mm -hmm. Like I've I've in the last five years, I've my cooking has really improved. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned a ton. Um, and actually, you know, one thing I really learned from all of them that I think unites all of them and speaks to a lot of what we're saying is. Every single one of them, no matter where they're from, Mexico, Japan, Iran, all say the most important ingredient is love. Mm -hmm. yeah. They all say yes. that. That's and I universal. Think that what that means to me is that it's cooking with care. It's cooking with attention and intention. Mm -hmm. And when you care and you're doing it out of love, the food tastes amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Versus like not caring, rushing, not paying attention, mm -hmm. throwing it together. Mm -hmm. It's not good. Yeah. Good. Which is a good thing to remember. Yes. In cook general. with love. Yeah. I can't think of a better <laughs> note to end on. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. OXO makes products for our real lives, not just for their labs. That's why they do extensive real-life testing for their products. Take their 3-in-1 Avocado Slicer, which is an avocado's best friend. It splits, pits, slices, and scoops avocados easily and safely without any mess. When OXO was working on it, they tested over 700 avocados in all shapes and sizes to make sure it worked. That's a lot of guacamole. For more about OXO and their products, head to OXO.com. That's OXO.com. Okay, now it is time to answer listeners' questions about cooking. I am sitting next to my wife, Grace, who's going to be the voice of the listeners, and we are currently dog-sitting for a dog named Toby, who you might hear in the background. He's the voice of the dogs in the community. <laughs> if any dogs have questions, they can DM <laughs> me on Instagram at Tertian or send an email to keepcomandcookonpodcast at gmail.com. That goes for dog owners as well. Okay, today's questions. All right, your first question comes from Phil Freeman, who asks, if I have a tired oldish veggie in my fridge, will they add nutrition if I put them in a soup or broth? I think totally. That's a great place for them to go, and you can get everything possible from that vegetable out of it in your soup or broth. So just add it to the pot, let it cook and cook and cook, and enjoy your soup. Your next question comes from our friend Esten 
who asks, why do baking recipes say to add vanilla at the end instead of with the liquids when it's easier? That is a very, very good observation. Um, it's something I try to keep in mind when I write baking recipes, but now that Esten brings it up, I feel like I kind of need to go back through my books and double check. Um, I think often vanilla, because it's such a small amount of an ingredient that gets used, it's often put sort of last on the um, list of ingredients in the recipe, but the list of ingredients should go in order in which you add the ingredients in the recipe. So sometimes I think if someone just puts it last on the ingredient list, they'll call for it last in the recipe instructions when it should in fact go in earlier, you know, with all the liquids, just like Esten is talking about. So that is a really kind of like recipe writing, sort of nerding out question, but I really love this question. I think it brings up all the kind of nuances that come up in recipe writing that I think are often really taken for granted. Okay, today's final question comes from Regriner, who wants to know, how do you usually cook garlic? Do you normally put it in first when sautéing or later on? So it depends entirely on what I'm making. If I'm making something really quick cooking, like vegetables or just, you know, like sautéed greens, I put the garlic in hot oil, let it sort of like bloom, you know, when garlic starts sizzling and it smells amazing. Uh, then I throw in those greens or vegetables and usually a splash of water. The oil at the beginning helps the garlic get all of its flavor out, but the water stops it from burning. Sometimes I like to add garlic later. Let's say I'm making something that's going to cook a little bit longer, like sautéed chicken with maybe some peppers and onions, which, you know, garlic goes really well with. I'll add minced garlic later so it doesn't burn. The exception is something long-cooked that has liquid, like a soup or a braise. I basically just don't want garlic sitting in a hot kind of dry pan for a long time because that means you're going to get burnt garlic and burnt garlic is just not one of my favorite things, so I try to avoid it. Um, I hope that helps. And Grace, thank you so much for being the voice of the listeners. Thanks for having me. And if you have a question for me, just DM me on Instagram or send an email to keepcomandcookonpodcast at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, you might also like another show called Lunch Therapy, hosted by Adam Roberts, a.k.a. The Amateur Gourmet. When I was a kid, my parents worked full-time, and the first question I always asked when they came home from work was, what did you have for lunch? Adam asks this question of all of his guests, and it's a podcast that reminds us that what we eat says something about who we are. It's also really funny, there are many comedians as guests, and it isn't afraid to get emotional. You can also learn a lot. There's cooking tips, tips on how to host a dinner party, and more. Mostly, though, it's a chance to really get to know people by hearing about what they eat for lunch. You can find Lunch Therapy wherever you listen to your podcast, and also on Luminary and Acast. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Keep Calm and Cook On. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you have a few extra seconds, please rate and review the show. It really makes a difference to help others find it. And let someone know about it. Post about it on social media, text a friend about the show, email your family. It all adds up. Keep Calm and Cook On is produced and hosted by me, Julia Tertian, and engineered by David Tatashore. For more about David, head over to DaveTAT.com. And for more about me and my work and my cookbooks, head over to JuliaTertian.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Tertian. Thanks again for listening. This episode of Keep Calm and Cook On is presented by OXO. OXO makes some of the most thoughtfully engineered tools around. To find out more about OXO, head over to OXO.com. That's OXO.com.